Lufalava, this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. It was very important to kind of balance and re-equilibrate to this part of, uh, of the Pacific. French president announces plans for the first embassy in Polynesia. Also, there's still some things that still have some detail work, but the money, the numbers, settled. The Marshall Islands agreed to U.S. compact funding deal. And later, we bring you the latest from the Nipple World Cup. A French diplomat says having an embassy in Samoa will enable France to play a more central role on issues that arise in the Pacific, like security and climate change. The French president has announced plans for the first French embassy in Polynesia. Alicia Foon spoke with Ambassador of France to New Zealand, Lawrence Bow. Uh, we are fully aware of uh, Samoa's role and importance in the region, in the Polynesian region, but also uh, throughout the Pacific, because it is the headquarters for uh, SPREP, many uh, UN agencies, uh, and that's why we wanted to strengthen our capacity for dialogue and action with Samoa. The relationship quite uh, ancient, and there has been strong, but the fact of opening an embassy on on uh, on place <laughs> in in Samoa. Uh, was really uh, an announcement to have a fully-fledged embassy in the Polynesia, because so far we didn't have any. Uh, we have embassies in Australia, New Zealand, uh, Vanuatu, Fiji, and PNG, uh, but we did not have any in the Polynesian part of the Pacific. So that's why it was very important to kind of uh, balance and re-equilibrate to this part of, uh, of the Pacific. And when will this French embassy officially be opening? We are working with our counterpart, the, the uh, Samoan uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, to uh, see uh, when uh, we, and what will be the next steps. But uh, the, the announcement has been very uh, recent, just a few days ago. So no, uh, I can't give you any uh, formal date for the opening, but uh, uh, we are working on it. When you have a fully-fledged embassy somewhere, you have definitely presence, so you can you you have more ability to develop uh, economic and um, other uh, relationships. So would, uh, that that we say that we we are opening the possibility of uh, of having this presence. So really, being based in Samoa would definitely um, help strengthen uh, the ties economic ties, people-to-people, and, and other uh, things. Also, uh, maritime things, if needed, surveillance of the uh, EZ, uh, like we do uh, well in, in uh, French Polynesia, for example. We have the French forces based in, uh, in uh, French Polynesia. We, we can have some cooperation of any sort, but depending of uh, the will and the needs expressed by the, the Samoan authorities uh, if, uh, if they wish. So, so for us, we are open, and then it's now to discuss more about what we could do to face the common challenge and to defend the common values that, uh, that we share Samoa and France. The Marshall Islands has agreed to a U.S. compact funding deal after a last-minute push for more funding to address legacy issues from America's nuclear weapons testing fell flat in the U.S. Congress in mid-July. The agreement, announced on Friday by Marshall Islands Chief Negotiator Philip Muller, 
puts Washington on track to complete security and economic agreements with three North Pacific nations viewed as critical to U.S. defense posture in the Pacific Islands. Palau and the Federated States of Micronesia had both signed off in May on new funding agreements as part of their compacts of free association with Washington. But Marshall Islands leaders were unhappy with the U.S. response to the ongoing health and environmental problems from the 67 nuclear weapons tests at Bikini and Inewetak atolls. Kurui Hawkins spoke with our correspondents in the Marshall Islands, Gif Johnson, about the deal. So the, the U.S. and the U.S. negotiations with the three North Pacific countries for the, these renewed compacts of free association, essentially Palau and the Federated States of Micronesia wrapped up the money side of their agreements, uh, well, in January, but then finalized that in May. And there's still some things that still have some detail work, but the money, the numbers settled for Palau and the FSM. But the Marshalls, uh, the, the the Marshalls had signed a, an MOU or an agreement also in January, just like their two other, uh, you know, the two other neighboring countries. But that became a very disputed document when it was brought back to the parliament. And there was actually a big blow up over it. And the, the basic issue is this, is that, number one, <laughs> the U.S. doesn't want to acknowledge that it's going to provide some further money for nuclear compensation for all kinds of liability and whatever. That's its own issue. Uh, but secondly, they're, they've always shortchanged the Marshall Islands on its, its claim situation. And for example, what the Marshalls used as its pitch to the United States was the awards from the Nuclear Claims Tribunal adjudication process under the first Compact of Free Association. This was an, a, a creation of that treaty between the U.S. and the Marshall Islands to adjudicate all claims. So they did a lot of work, and the net result was a $3.1 billion award for various islands and and issues and problems and health issues, but that was largely unpaid because the U.S. didn't provide the Marshall Islands with funding. So this was the basis of the Marshall Islands pitch to the U.S. This time to just deal with this. Let's deal with it and move forward. And so the U.S. nickel and dimed them initially. So oh, we'll give you a 200 million or 400 million and the marshals pushed back. And finally, the number got up to 700 million as a trust fund donation, not specified for nuclear, could be nuclear because the U.S. is trying to have some deniability about what it's doing. Um, uh, but nevertheless, it was 700 million against 3.1 billion. And so this is where there was a lot of pushback locally. But because of like disorganization, lack of leadership, nothing happened between January and like last month. And so there was just this big period of just nothing going on, no negotiations, no nothing. And then the, the U.S. Congress held a couple of hearings a couple of weeks ago in the House and the Senate and said, where are we at? And so the marshals went and they made their pitch and the, the Congress was like, hey, this is a no go. You guys already signed off. You know, like, why are you coming in at the 11th hour to ask for more? And basically, the Marshall Islands, the cabinet decided, OK, let's just go with what's in there because it's already in 
the U.S. funding budget cycle for the Congress, that those amounts are agreed to uh, and they'll move forward. And part of the motivation is that the current 20-year funding arrangement expires September 30, okay, in two months. It's the end of this 20-year funding package. And so this new agreement is supposed to click in October 1. And without a new agreement, then there's all kinds of questions. Well, all the federal programs, all the U.S. grant assistance, it's gone, right? And so if the U.S. doesn't then like put a continuing resolution or something, you hit a cliff on October 1. And so there are all these things in the picture, but essentially the Marshall Islands has said, okay, we'll go along with the agreed to funding numbers. And I think, you know, for them, they would say it's better than nothing. You know, it's way better than nothing. Um, but, you know, that's just, that's where it's at at this point. Still, you know, it's still up for some detailed negotiation, but the money numbers are settled. Would it be fair to say that this U.S. funding under the compact is a significant portion of the revenue for Marshall Islands government? Absolutely. The U.S. Uh, US has historically been the largest aid donor to the Marshall Islands, and the <clears throat> combination of grants through the Compact of Free Association, that is direct money coming in, coupled with all the federal programs. I mean, they provide money for health care, immunizations, family planning, education. You know, there's just a zillion federal programs for which were the Marshall Islands and the other freely associated states are eligible. So essentially, the breakdown on funding here has been U.S. Uh, money constitutes about one third of the total budget. Other donors, about another third, and then locally generated revenue, about a third. So it's a huge piece uh, of the government's uh, funding package. And without it, you could see that this place could very easily go into collapse into financial chaos. Now, returning to the to the nuclear legacy issue, um, we talked about this before, and you mentioned the first compact there. Maybe just going over the the finer points, or has has there actually has there never been any acknowledgement? And it's always been an issue um, that's just been kicking. Is it kicking the can down the road, or is it complete denial of any impact of the nuclear weapons testing? You know the the challenge and the the roadblock to to solving the U.S. cause nuclear legacy here uh, <clears throat> has been the fact that the first compact was negotiated during the Cold War period, and it was also negotiated, and the compact compensation provisions in that early compact uh, were uh, were motivated by the fact that Marshall Islands, uh, Bikini and Aniwetok, the two the people from the two nuclear test sites, plus many other Marshallese, had filed lawsuits in U.S. federal courts seeking billions of dollars in reparations for the testing. And so the U.S. government wanted to get rid of the lawsuits, like end its unknown liability in the courts by doing a political settlement that would just make it go away. 
And so they pulled a number essentially out of the hat because there was no real scientific basis for 150 million, but that was the amount of the first settlement in the in the first combat. It was 150 million dollars to be invested. It would pay out like roughly 300 million over time, uh, and then that was it. And it was signed off as a full and final settlement, right? And that was it. All past, present, future claims done by this agreement, although there was a little door left open called the change circumstances provision, which allowed the Marshall Islands to go back to the Congress, U.S. Congress, if it could show that uh, that there had been changes during the compact period, like after the negotiated settlement, if there had been things that had developed that rendered the agreement manifestly inadequate. Well, there's many things that have happened, but the U.S. government has just said, no, we're not, you signed off, it's full and final. And so the feeling was because of the situation, the geopolitical situation, which has given the islands a bit more visibility and maybe a little more leverage uh, now in talks with Washington, that this was the time to try to get the nuclear legacy issue back on the table to say, come on, let's deal with it. And, you know, so, but the U.S. government, just like they have issues to do with liability and whatever U.S. government things are, that they don't want to create precedents and show that they're compensating and this and that. But, you know, if, if I was a Marshall Islanders, I'd say too bad. Like this is time to solve it. We're friends. We have a long-term relationship. This is, you know, the Marshall Islands is, is a, is one of the best friends of the United States government. You know, the, the government here votes with the U S at the UN almost a hundred percent of the time People from here register into the U.S. military in higher per capita numbers than Americans do. Things like that. I mean, it's a, you know, it's like we're, we have a special relationship. But this has been a problem hanging out there. And I don't know, like we will find out in a week or so because the parliament here comes back into session for its final session of the year uh, in August. And they're going to talk about it. So it'll be on the table. And I guess we're going to find out, you know, how people in the parliament feel about the cabinet's decision to go ahead uh, with the the numbers that were agreed to this past January. Thank you, Giff. Thank you very okay. much. Talk later. Cool. Thanks. Bye. Yep. Bye bye. In sports, Fiji has been beaten by Malawi in their first game of the second group stage at the Netball World Cup. The African nation prevailed in the Pool F clash 62-48, and England has beaten Tonga 72-48, also in Pool F. The top two from each second stage group will progress to the semi-finals. That's Pacific Waves for today. Don't forget you can listen back on rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, so far so far.